0: Chapter 71, The Jeroboam's Story Hand in hand, ship and breeze blew on, but the breeze came faster than the ship, and soon the Pequod began to rock. By and by, through the glass, the stranger's boat and manned masthead proved her a whale ship, but as she was so far to windward and shooting by, apparently making a passage to some other ground, the Pequod could not hope to reach her, so the signal was sent to see what response would be made. Here be it said that like the vessels of military marines, the ships of the American whale fleet have each a private signal, all which signals can be collected in a book with the names of respected vessels attached. Every captain is provided with it. Hereby the whale commanders are enabled to recognize each other upon the ocean, even at considerable distances, and with no small facility." The Pequod's signal was at last responded to by the stranger settling her own, which proved the ship to be the Jeroboam of Nantucket. Squaring her yards, she bore down, ranged a beam under the Pequod's lee, and lowered a boat. It soon drew nigh, but as the side ladder was being rigged by Starbuck's order to accommodate the visiting captain, the stranger in question waved his hand from his boat's stern in token of the proceeding being entirely unnecessary. It turned out that the Jeroboam had a malignant epidemic on board, and that Mayhew, her captain, was fearful of infecting the Pequod's company. For, though himself and the boat's crew remained untainted, and though the ship was half a rifle shot off... An incorrigible sea and air rolling and flowing between, yet conscientiously adhering to the timid quarantine of the land, he peremptorily refused to come into direct contact with the Pequod. But this did by no means prevent all communication. Preventing an interval of some few yards between itself and the ship, the Jeroboam's boat by occasional use of its oars contrived to keep parallel to the Pequod as she heavily forged through the sea, for by this time it blew very fresh. With her main topsail aback, though indeed at times by the sudden onset of a large rolling wave, the boat would be pushed some ways ahead, but would soon be skillfully brought to her proper bearings again. Subject to this, and others like the interruptions now and then, a conversation was sustained between the two parties, but at intervals not without still another interruption of a very different sort." "'Pulling an oar under the Jeroboam's boat "'was a man of a singular appearance, "'even that of a wild, whaling life "'where individual notabilities make up all totalities. "'He was a small, short, youngish man, "'sprinkled all over the face with freckles "'and wearing redundant yellow hair.' A long-skirted, cannibalistically cut coat of a faded walnut tinge enveloped him, the overlapping sleeve of which were rolled up on his waist. A deep, settled, fanatic delirium was in his eyes. So soon as this figure had been described, Stud had exclaimed, That's he! That's he! The long-togged Scaramouch the town hose company told of! Stubb here alluded to a strange story told of the Jeroboam and a certain man among her crew, sometime previous when the Pequod spoke of the town ho, According to this account and what was subsequently learned, it seemed that the Scaramouche in question had gained a wonderful ascendancy over almost everyone in the Jeroboam. His story was this. He had originally been nurtured among the crazy society of the Neskayuna Shakers, where he had been a great prophet— in their cracked secret meetings having several times descended from heaven by the way of a trap-door announcing the speedy opening of the seventh vial which he carried in his vest pocket but which instead of containing gunpowder was supposed to be charged with laudanum a strange apostolic whim having seized him he had left Neskayuna for Nantucket, where, with that cunning peculiar to craziness, he assumed a steady, common sense of exterior and offered himself as a greenhand candidate for the Jeroboam's whaling voyage. They engaged him, but straightway, upon the ship's getting out of sight of land, his insanity broke out into a freshet. He announced himself as the Archangel Gabriel and commanded the captain to jump overboard. He published his manifesto whereby he set himself forth as the Deliverer of the Isles of the Sea and Vicar General of Oceania, The unflinching earnestness with which he described these things, the dark, daring play of his sleepless, excited imagination, and all the preternatural terrors of real delirium, united to invest this Gabriel in the minds of the majority of the ignorant crew, with an atmosphere of sacredness. Moreover, they were afraid of him, and such a man, however, was not of much practical use in the ship, especially as he refused to work, except when he pleased. The incredulous captain would fain have been rid of him, but... Apprised that the individual's intention was to land him in the first convenient port, the archangel forwith opened all his seals and vials, devoting the ship and all hands to unconditional perdition, in case this intention was carried out. So strongly did he work upon his disciples among the crew, that at last in a body they went to the captain and told him if Gabriel was sent from the ship, not a man of them would remain. He was therefore forced to relinquish his plan. Nor would they permit Gabriel to be any way maltreated, say or do what he would, so that it came to pass that Gabriel had the complete freedom of the ship. The consequence of all this was the archangel cared little or nothing for the captain and the mates, and since the epidemic had broken out, he carried a higher hand than ever, declaring that the plague, as he called it, was his sole command, nor should it be stayed but according to his good pleasure. The sailors, mostly poor devils, cringed, and some of them fawned before him in obedience to his instructions, sometimes rendering him personal homage as to a god." Such things may seem incredible, but, however wondrous, they are true. Nor is the history of fanatics half so striking in respect to the measureless self-deceptions of the fanatic himself, as his measureless power of deceiving and bedeviling so many others. But it is time to return to the Pequod. "'I fear not thy epidemic, man,' said Ahab from the Bulwarks, to Captain Mayhew, who stood in the boat's stern. "'Come on board.' But now Gabriel started to his feet. Think, think of the fevers, yellow and bilious. Prepare of the horrible plague. "'Gabriel, Gabriel,' cried Captain Mayhew, "'thou must either—' But that instant, a headlong wave shot the boat far ahead, and its seethings drowned all speech. "'Hast thou seen the white whale?' demanded Ahab, when the boat drifted back. "'Think, think of thy whale-boat, stoven and sunk, beware of the horrible tale.' I tell thee, Gabriel, that, but again the boat tore ahead as if dragged by fiends. Nothing was said for some moments, while a succession of riotous waves rolled by, which, by one of those occasional caprices of the seas, were tumbling, not heaving it. Meanwhile, the hosted sperm whale's head jogged about very violently, and Gabriel was seen eyeing it with rather more apprehensiveness than his archangel nature seemed to warrant. When this interlude was over, Captain Mayhew began a dark story concerning Moby Dick, not, however, without frequent interruptions from Gabriel, however, his name was mentioned, and the crazy sea that seemed leagued with him. It seemed that the Jeroboam had not long left home, when, upon speaking a whale ship, her people were reliably appraised of the existence of Moby Dick and the havoc he had made, Greedily sucking in this intelligence, Gabriel solely warned the captain against the attacking of the white whale, in case the monster should be seen, in his gibbering insanity pronouncing the white whale to be no less a being than the shaker god incarnated the Shakers receiving the Bible. But when some year or two afterwards, Moby Dick was fairly sighted from the mastheads, Macy, the other chief mate, burned with ardor to encounter him, and the captain began being not unwilling to let him have the opportunity, despite all the archangel's denunciations and forewarnings. Macy succeeded in persuading five men to man his boat. With them, he pushed off, and after much wary pulling, and after much weary pulling, the many perilous unsuccessful onsets, he had last succeeded in getting one iron fast. Meantime, Gabriel ascending to the main royal masthead was tossing one arm in frantic gestures and hurling forth prophecies of speedy doom to the sacrilegious assailants of his divinity." Now, while Macy the mate was standing up in his boat bow, and with all reckless energy of his tribe was venting his wild exclamations upon the whale, and essaying to get a fair chance for his poised lance, lo, a broad white shadow rose from the sea, by its quick, fanning motion temporarily taking the breath out of the bodies of the oarsmen. Next instant, the luckless mate, so full of furious life, "'was smitten bodily into the air, "'and making a long arc in his descent, "'fell into the sea at the distance of about fifty yards. "'Not a chip off the boat was harmed, "'nor a hair of any oarsman's head, "'but the mate forever sank. "'It is well to parenthesize here "'that the fatal accidents of the sperm-whale fishery "'this kind is perhaps almost as frequent as any. "'Sometimes nothing is injured but the man who is thus annihilated.' Oftener, the boat's bow is knocked off, or the thighboard in which the headsman stands is torn from its place and accompanies the body. But strangest of all is the circumstance that in more instances than one, when the body has been recovered, not a single mark of violence is discernible, the man being stark dead. The whole calamity with the falling form of Macy was plainly described from the ship, raising a piercing shriek, the vile! the vile!" Gabriel called off the terror-stricken crew from the further hunting of the whale, this terrible event clothed the archangel with added influence. Because his credulous disciplines believed that he had specifically fore-announced it, instead of only making a general prophecy, which anyone might have done, and so a chance to hit one of many marks in the wild margin allowed, he became a nameless terror to the ship. Mayhew, having concluded his narration, Ahab put such questions to him that the stranger captain could not forbear inquiring whether he intended to hunt the white whale, if opportunity should offer, to which Ahab answered, I. Straightway, then, Gabriel once more started to his feet, glaring upon the old man, and vehemently exclaimed with downward-pointed finger, "'Think! Think of the blasphemer, dead and down there! Beware of the blasphemer's end!' Ahab stolidly turned aside, then said to Mayhew, Captain, I have just bethought me of the letter bag. There is a letter for one of my officers, if I mistake not. Starbuck, look over the bag. Every whale ship takes a goodly number of letters for various ships, whose delivery to the persons to whom they may be addressed depend upon the mere chance of encountering them in the four oceans. Thus... Most letters never reach their mark, and many are only received after attaining an age of two or three years or more. Soon, Starbuck returned with a letter in his hand. It was sorely tumbled damp and covered with a dull, spotted green mold, in consequence of being kept in a dark locker of the cabin. Of such a letter, Death himself might have been the postboy. "'Canst not read it,' cried Ahab. "'Give it to me, man. "'Aye, aye. "'It's but a dim scrawl. "'What's this?' As he was studying it out, Starbuck took a long-cutting spade pole and, with his knife, slightly split the end to insert the letter there and, in that way, hand it to the boat without its coming any closer to the ship. Meantime, Ahab, holding the letter, muttered, Mr. Har, yes, Mr. Hari, a woman's piny hand, and the man's wife, I'll wager. I, Mr. Hari Macy, ship Jeroboam, why, it's Macy, and he's dead. Poor fellow, poor fellow, and from his wife— sighed Mayhew but let me have it nay keep it thyself cried Gabriel to Ahab thou art soon going that way curses throttle thee yelled Ahab Captain Mayhew stand by now and receive it And taking the fatal missive from Starbuck's hand, he caught it in the split of the pole and reached it over towards the boat. But as he did so, the oarsman expectantly desisted from rowing, and the boat drifted a little towards the ship's stern, so that, as if by magic, the letter suddenly ranged along Gabriel's eager hand. He clutched it in an instant, seized the boat knife, and impaling the letter on it, sent it thus loaded back to the ship. It fell at Ahab's feet. Then Gabriel shrieked out to his comrades to give way with their oars, and in that manner the mutinous boat rapidly shot away from the Pequod. As, after this interlude, the seamen resumed their work upon the jacket of the whale, many strange things were hinted in reference to this wild affair.